Hey everyone, welcome to another awesome episode of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. I'm super glad you guys are tuning in. I need to do a huge, huge shout out to all of those supporting the podcast over on Patreon. Um, it's really helping me out and uh, I wouldn't be doing it without your support, so thank you. Um, if you haven't uh, contributed yet, please consider contributing. Even a dollar a month would help. Five dollars or more gets you uh, access to amazing bonus content and... I send out some goodies now and then. This is episode 65 with Morag Patterson and Ted Leeming. We talked about their Zero Footprints project, which I think is a really exciting project to check out. Um, and we also talked about uh, collaborating and uh, working on art together. I think I think that's something that's really exciting uh, that we could all try out. Um, I know I left the podcast inspired to uh, try some things out myself. Uh, I hope you enjoy this week's podcast, and thanks for tuning in. Well, uh, yeah, Morag P- Patterson and Ted Leeming, it is so cool to have you both on F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. It's really great to be with you. Absolutely. And uh, thanks to the power of the internet, we are thousands of miles apart you guys are in northwest italy right now is that correct that's true yep we're in a little region called liguria which is uh very close to the french border oh it's brilliant i'm i'm a little bit jealous (laughs) yeah Yeah, mind you colorado doesn't sound too bad either no it's not bad although like the whole state is like burning right now like there's 10 wildfires burning in colorado right now it's crazy that's no good yeah oh wow I think back in Britain, they're having a huge problem with that. I think this place tends to get tricky around later July, August with wildfire, doesn't it? I think it gets bad, but we also do get quite a a fair amount of rain because it's basically where the the Alps comes out of the Mediterranean. So we do get quite a lot of uh, uh, storms build up, mountain storms every week or two. um, even in the summer. So it doesn't get quite as dry as, as some places. Sure. Well, I was hoping we could just, uh, you know, I, I actually got your guys' information from uh, F-Stop Gear. They, um, I did a little collaboration with them a few months ago, and um, uh, Philip, or Philippe Arsov, he runs their social media. He kind of sent me a list of their ambassadors, and I took a look at the list and went to your guys' website, and I was really intrigued by a lot of the work you guys are doing um i thought it was a great fit for the podcast so i was hoping we could just start out with you guys maybe just kind of introducing yourselves and who you are where you're from what you're all about and uh maybe finish off by talking a little bit about how you got into photography together wow okay that shouldn't take (laughs) too long then (laughs) maybe uh, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, so, so I've been taking photos since the mid '80s. Um, started off traditional film, 35 mil was a, a travel. I, I enjoyed travel. That's how I first got into it. Uh, love of travel photography. Then worked in London for three years, just as a freelance photographer. Had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> and uh, and actually, I I after three years, I put down the camera and didn't touch it again for another twelve years, um, oh, because wow. I I kind of wasn't taking the photos that I enjoyed taking. I was doing portraits, uh, work for newspapers and magazines, and it and it didn't fulfil my uh, uh, criteria, I guess. And so I just put the camera down. In 2004, with the the start of digital, I decided to give it another shot. Spent a year in a camper van, um, and it was delving into digital for the first time. And from that, decided to go professional, uh, but only doing outdoor photography, um, primarily landscapes and abstracts. And it's been... uh, Thus, ever since. Wow. Um, I guess I started when I met Ted, really, properly, anyway. I'd always taken a lot of photographs as a kid, but just on, um, you know, on a, I think it was a little Disc 15 camera that I had. And um, 
And then so when I met Ted, uh, <laughs> obviously there was a lot of camera gear lying around and a lot of photography going on. And uh, yeah, so I just picked it up from there. I enjoyed experimenting and we started collaborating very quickly on um, the Impressionist technique and uh, it, it all went from there. I think that was the first big project for us was the we spent about three or four years on the intentional camera movement or impressionist type uh, photography. I'd been really shooting mostly traditional work up to that point. And, uh, and it was really because you had someone coming at it almost from a, uh, with a new set of eyes. Um, Morag, basically, it was the best lesson I ever, ever had in photography was to actually have a, a beginner almost. I'm trying to teach Mog how to do it the traditional ways and she's looking at, at the world through a different set of eyes. And that really was where, and no one was really doing, I think William Neal uh, out in Yosemite was doing some ICM at the same time. We didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really was, so it was really a, a creative journey between the two of us um, working together uh, reviewing images, learning off each other, and trying to understand the techniques, and and that's how we really advanced. And and really, after three years, it formed the start of our collaborations in other areas as well. That's brilliant. So, um, for those that don't know, can you maybe explain a little bit uh, about what you mean by uh, in the impressionist style? Okay, so it's um, it's a way of creating photographs that I guess the most easy way to explain it would be they look more like a painting generally than a, a traditional photograph that has sharp edges. Um, I mean, there's actually quite a big range of different types of impressionist work in photography, but generally it's done by moving the camera a little as you take the picture. Um, there's a couple of variations, but the the most tried and tested used technique I would say would be to move the camera as you're taking the shot and you get a very painterly type effect um, okay. image. And it's with a slow shutter speed, so you're yeah. effectively blurring yeah. blurring the image. Absolutely. Gotcha. More of an impression of what it looks like than a, a straightforward representation. But there's umpteen variations and so many different ways you can approach that and create very very different effects if anyone want i mean it's easy to find on our website i think there's a couple of portfolios that you know give people an idea of um the, the amount of variety you can do and that's just scratching the surface really um, yeah it's it's one of those things that everybody just like any other form of photography everybody brings their own personality to it um and so there are photographers doing very similar stuff um to 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 what we're doing but i have no idea how they arrive at the the uh, end result that they do i i can look at their shutter speed their aperture um and try and replicate that but it's it does have an individual personality as as with any other form of photography yeah i've seen a lot of people use that technique for um like aspen trees here in colorado like getting that um, a lot of times with like vertical blurring where it kind of looks like you're entering a, a dream state or something like that. I've seen a lot of people use that technique here. So I think, yeah, I, it's funny. I, I think uh, in the States anyway, or at least around the people I've talked to, we just call it like blur blurring, you know, like it's, it's funny, like how everything has a different name too. <laughs> Yeah. I, it's it's more romantic impressionist, I gotcha. think. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, or at cool. least intentional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I um I really wanted to spend some time uh talking to you guys about your uh zero footprints project and the competition that you've released around that. So um I would love it if you could spend some time just explaining what that uh project is and maybe talk a little bit about uh, why you wanted to start the project and what it's all about. Okay, I'll, I'll kick off. Uh, the, the project actually started out on another collaboration that we were working on, and we were building a, a zero energy house 
uh, at the time in southwest Scotland. Um, and we were having discussions about our, our work and we suddenly came up with the idea, why not try and shoot an entire series of images all from exactly the same location, thus uh, the whole project has a, a zero travel footprint associated with it. And that ended up being a, a five-year project um, to come up with our first zero footprint uh, uh, portfolio and subsequently book that we produced on it. What, was the, that, what was the location? Uh, the location was just outside the back door of the house, actually, okay. um, <laughs> which was a, a great location insofar as when the light conditions, which are very changeable in that part of the world, uh, are right, you could very quickly grab a camera, go out onto the, the patio and get shots. But uh, it wasn't so handy because the foreground was, was very much just a, a green lawn, so we didn't <laughs> have much foreground and midground to to play with uh so pretty much the nearest thing we were shooting was was a kilometer away and thus it was although it was landscapes it's mostly shot on telephoto lenses mm -hmm. um but that was just an interesting factor uh around the, the uh uh around the project and and again there, as we came to the end of the project, um, we also shot another series on birds. Um, and the two portfolios work together in the, in the book. And again, if you go on the website, you can uh, see both the, the portf a portfolio of some of the images and also have access to, to have a look at the book as well. Cool. Um, so tell tell me a little bit more about uh, what that kind of has evolved into in terms of um, what you're promoting through the competition. Okay, so the that project um, that we kind of did as Leeming and Patterson gave us the idea that we wanted to do something with a bit more outreach and community engagement, um, trying to bring a lot more people on board to be just getting involved in any aspect of tackling climate change, really. Um, primarily, we're working with photographers, whether that's amateurs or pros. So what we did, uh, we have the website zerofootprints.org. Um, the first thing we did was to go out to a whole bunch of pro photographers that we know and ask them to donate an image. So they basically donated a digital file that people can buy and 100% of the profit goes to um, a climate change uh, charity. At the moment, that's SolarAid. And we chose them because they have such a high proportion of the money they raise goes directly to the cause rather than being sucked up in admin along mm -hmm. the way. Um, there will be more charities and different charities over time. So at the moment, the site is populated with donated images and voices um, and then the next step to just promote the whole kind of community of Zero Footprints is to have this open competition where anybody can enter an image and win some fantastic prizes, which um, some of the companies we've been working with, uh, Smug Mug, F-Stock Gear, Photo Speed, and they're all coming on board. And Echo Outdoors is another person who's kind of in this, the, the Zero Footprint steering group as it were i don't really like that expression but <laughs> it's the one that popped into my head you know the um the people that are organizing it so um yeah so now we're putting the word out there for anybody to submit their images to the competition yeah i think the uh it might be worth just noting that what we're trying to do is one as well as directly raising uh money for charity um and it having a, a charitable sort of status about it and around it uh, what we're also trying to do is raise awareness um you know a picture speaks a thousand words everybody knows the old phrase um, um what we're trying to do through getting photographers to submit their own voice photographic voice with respect to uh any element of climate change is that hopefully the general public will engage with that voice 
Uh, we'll have words in the background and links to the photographer and other organizations. They could be charities, they could be uh, scientists looking, researching into climate change. And from that, if people are interested by the visual stimulus that they're getting or the subject matter, then they can go and explore further uh, via the site. So it almost acts as a portal for lots of different ideas, views, thinkings of any range of photographers on, on climate change. And I would say in addition to raising awareness, you know, the end goal would be to get people to act, you know, act in, and that can be in small ways or big ways, even if, if people just change, you know, small aspects of their life that are, you know, contributing to climate change, um, anybody who makes any changes having a positive effect um, on the overall yeah one of the one of the biggest things that we get is is people saying well climate change is such a big issue and okay that glacier is melting but <laughs> what can I do what can I do and, and and others will say well until the government puts in the policies then there's really nothing I can do and when the electric car comes along I'll do I'll I'll buy one once they're efficient, et cetera. But actually, there's so much you can do now uh, with respect to just very simple things, turning off a light, um, uh, air drying your clothes rather than using a tumble dryer, um, you know, recycling, all the things that we we think that we do so well, but that we could take so much further. Yeah, you know, looking at your diet, how much meat and dairy you eat, um, there's just so many areas where people can can make change and also just looking at where you put your pound or your dollar at the end of the day are you know are you putting that somewhere that's um contributing to climate change or are you making a statement with what you buy that says you don't want to you want to go in a direction that addresses it rather than ignores it absolutely yeah i'm I'm a i'm a vegetarian myself and i try to tell people like the most compelling reason to at least reduce the amount of meat that you consume is because it's one of the most impactful ways that you can make a difference towards the consumption of water and environmental issues. So um, absolutely. I, I think that's a, a very powerful message that, you know, individuals as individuals, we actually can make a significant impact just by the choices that we make on a day-to-day -day basis. Absolutely. It's us guys that are consuming and, and do it, you know, making the problems at the end of the day. We can never look at it and say somebody else is is ca causing those problems. It's it's We're all doing it. So it's up to us all to solve it. Yeah, so kind of segueing from that, um, I'm curious, what is it specifically about uh, the climate change issue um, that uh, has motivated you to... Uh, direct your photography efforts towards uh, trying to make an impact in, through that route? Uh, yeah, that's probably my fault. Um, <laughs> I, uh, when I took the 12-year the break from uh, photography, uh, I got involved, first of all, as a, a volunteer in the early days of, of renewable energy, uh, and particularly wind energy in the UK. Uh, it was at a time when there was not one wind farm or solar farm in the UK. Um, and over the next 25 years, I'm still a, a non-exec director of a, uh, a renewable energy company that I started uh, back in 96 with a bunch of friends. Um, and really, I think that that passion, as I say, I, that's over 25 years I've been uh, involved in that and, and actually seen real change take place. So as I said, there was no wind farms in 1991. Uh, and on a, a windy, sunny day, the UK can produce over 50% of its electricity uh, entirely from renewable energy. Uh, and that is, is a, a, a huge statement of what we can do um, uh if we put our minds to it, um, it's not the it's not perfect. It's not the finished solution, uh, but I think it's that involvement in the environment that I'm now trying to 
amalgamate much more closely with my photography, uh, not only at a personal level, but also trying to encourage others to take small steps uh, with respect to how they take photos, how they uh, live, etc. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's about looking after our environment generally as well, isn't it? It's not just climate change at the end of the day. No. It's all, there's lots of parts to the uh, jigsaw, as it were. But, you know, just generally taking a little bit more care of our environment um, would be a good idea. But we want to do it in a proactive yeah, way. Absolutely. We're, we're absolutely not about doom and gloom and and all things bad. It's about proactive, uh, exciting, new ideas, new thinking, and and encouraging people and showing them that actually, do you know what? It really isn't that hard. And and a, and a perfect example is that a lot of us photographers have, especially landscape photographers often have a much bigger carbon footprint than a lot of people just by the nature of we have to travel uh, to get our photos. Um, but one thing we very often, or a lot of photographers don't know, is that just how simple and cheap it is to offset the carbon associated with that travel. And so we've put on the website, uh, the Zero Footprints website, a little uh, calculator so you can tap in uh, right, I've got a, a photography workshop or a photography commission in London and I'm flying from New York and you tap in uh, the, the destination and the, the uh, starting point and it basically tells you how much carbon you've used uh, as a result of that travel. And you can offset that a return journey from New York to, to London for about 12 bucks okay. to give you an idea okay. of how cheap it is. Um, so it, it isn't expensive to do. Uh, and I think a lot of people, as they realize that they can do this, it would be empowering and, and you'd find a lot of people doing it. So one of the things that I've noticed here in the United States is that a lot of people seem to struggle with this topic in terms of like all or nothing or like, that it's real or not real, you know? And so I'm curious, like, uh, what are the biggest challenges you guys have faced um, in this project in terms of uh, getting people's support and, and buy-in to get behind this movement? Um, well, we've had 95% of people were just straight off positive, said, we're, you know, we're really glad that you're doing something. Here's a picture. Anything else we can do, we're on board. We had a few people that um, denied a little bit because because of the potentially uh, perceived hypocrisy of being people who travel a lot and then talking about climate change. and But most of them eventually came on board because... What we're doing is saying, yes, it's an issue and we're talking about it and addressing it and looking at ways to mitigate it. Um, and then we had a few, one or two people who just came back very honestly and just said, do you know what, I don't believe in climate change, so I'm not getting on board. But, you know, it started some great dialogues having those conversations as well. So, um, it, you know, it... I wouldn't say we've actually changed anyone's mind about climate change. I'm not <laughs> someone we've spoken to. We? No, no, I'm talking about the photographers we've spoke, you know, who we've approached to say, do you want to come on board? I think that some of them who saw it as the hypocrisy at first, no, no, I absolutely would say that they, they've actually changed their mind. What I mean is we haven't, nobody who's come as a climate <laughs> change denier, we haven't <laughs> managed to have a conversation, and uh, you know, that's changed... You know, people are entrenched, no. aren't they, really, in, in whichever side of that fence they're on. It's, um, it, it's going to take a lot to change those kind of views, I think. And I respect them for being so honest as well. So what do you think our roles are as uh, landscape photographers towards um, creating and or sustaining a movement uh, of environmental actions? Like, how do we... Um, cause it's a conversation I've had with a lot of people. Like there's this kind of, uh, tricky push pull relationship we have as photographers where like, you know, you take pictures of a location which attracts people to the location and, 
the more people that go to that location, the more damage it causes and, and so on and so forth. So like, how do we as photographers and what is our role in trying to strike a balance with all of those things? It's a, it's a dilemma. Absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's hard, especially if you're going somewhere to document a particular problem and highlight it, you know, that those images need to be in the, in the public eye, um, for people to be aware of it. But what, one thing that has happened over the last, I'm not sure how many years I'd say, certainly eight years, or we've noticed it since we did our initial zero footprints project is a lot of people are starting to look at their own backyards or somewhere very local, somewhere they can get to without a lot of travel and make a really immersive body of work, looking at things that could be overlooked as mundane or normal or not exciting or not interesting, but by really, really engaging with those places are producing incredible work and really interesting bodies of work that actually have a, a story behind them because that they have a, a really strong affinity or association with that place. And um, increasingly I'm seeing people make work that way as opposed to always thinking I need to jet off on a plane and take something more glamorous. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the other dilemma is always there. Uh, I guess everybody has to address it in their own way. Um, I and everybody has their own view on on what they should shouldn't can can't do. Recognition of the issue is the first thing, and then uh, small steps to help people to act. You then have government policy that will uh, come in. You see it in uh, it's being talked about actually at a local UNESCO site here in Liguria, uh, the Cinque Terre, the five uh, fishing villages where they've got so many tourists visiting now in the summer, they're looking to put additional taxes uh, onto uh, tourists to curb numbers. You have it in the the US at at some of your national parks where they're reducing uh, the number of licenses of people who can access parks at any one time. So there is obviously proactive management that can be done uh, to to stabilize numbers in a sustainable manner. Um, and, and then there is the, uh, the nature of what you do. So instead of perhaps going traveling on a plane, on a workshop three times a year around to different points around the world, maybe do one very local to yourself uh, and try and reduce your your travel miles um, slightly. So, for example, one that I did, I've literally, and it's my next zero footprint project, is I've just completed a 260-mile trek, um, solo trek across the, the Maritime Alps, which are on our back doorstep. Um, instead of going to a more exotic location, um, potentially, uh, it was a, a voyage of discovery, both personally and as a as a photographer. So uh, there is no right answer. It's just everybody else. We're, everybody has to find their own way through. Well, that that uh, trek sounds pretty exotic to me. <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> it was pretty hard, actually. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> if I'm honest, absolutely. <laughs> One of those things in hindsight, it was great. It was really good. <laughs> but it was it was actually very interesting. I, I basically set out and my plan was to be camping on the top of the ridge every night, getting beautiful dawns and dusks. <laughs> and so it, it was going to be, you know, beautiful 75 degrees every day. And I was going to get wow big landscapes. Anyway, it was. It turned out it was the wettest May in Ligurian legend. <laughs> um, and I think on my my three weeks, I had fifteen out of the eighteen days of walking. It rained, and on the other three days, oh, I had one day off, and on two days, I had to descend from the the ridges because of storms coming in, and it was unsafe to be up on the ridges. So. It meant that I had to reconsider how I was taking my photography um, and and shooting. 
uh, my images um, just to cope with the, the conditions that were around me. And and that was actually turned out being very exciting. It was very frustrating for the first few days, um, but it is one of those occasions where either I just put my camera away and don't take any photos or I start adapting my, the way I'm taking photos and the portfolios I shoot to suit the conditions that I find around me. And that was very powerful as a project. That sounds like you have the uh, the same type of luck that I have whenever I go on backpacking trips here in Colorado. <laughs> I have all these grand, grand visions of sleeping on ridges, 12,000 foot ridges and capturing amazing sunrises and sunsets. And then nature says, no, that's, that's actually not what you're going to be doing on this trip. You're going to be spending most of your time in your tent during uh, monsoon rains. So yeah, that sounds, it's still fun though. It's uh, uh, like you said. I, I, get, I know where you're coming from, but it is fun. It is definitely still fun. And that's part of the challenge. Eh? Absolutely. <laughs> if, if it was easy, everybody would do it. <laughs> so uh, one of the follow-up questions I have about um, your Zero Footprints uh, project and kind of um, doing more projects that are focused on a uh, environmental topic or issue that you care about, how do you, how do you guys... Uh, sustain that over time either um both financially and also just commitment in terms of keeping it going well i guess i mean we we both work in slightly different ways but uh, you know we're collaborating sometimes and sometimes we're working on individual projects and i mean the thing that stays with me is is just the way i work with nature and landscape really um, so I'm not, I personally don't go out to shoot a particular topic. Um, I'm just interacting with the landscape and hoping that the, the sentiment of that engagement and the, the benefits for, for the landscape itself and for the people who go out and choose to then engage in the same way, um, hoping it rubs off in that way as opposed to, I, I don't go out to specifically document uh, a particular subject if that makes sense Ted's got a kind of different way um, you've got a few very set projects haven't you that you're working on yeah I tend to I tend to, as with as with life I tend to have far too many things that I'm con trying to concentrate on at any one time have about generally about four to six portfolios or ideas at various stages of progression some of them are, are very defined and small pieces of work, and other of, uh, others are. I'll probably never show them to anyone because they'll never be finished enough. So um, uh, that's kind of how I work. And then when we, if we're on a collaboration, if one comes to a, a, a status where we're both happy with it, that's when we start releasing it out to the public and. The, the, the way we can afford to uh, do this is that we have a we, we also run workshops uh, uh, in Scotland we do workshops in Iceland and the Faroes and we're just about to start them here in in Italy as well we've got our first one coming up in September and so we we don't do many workshops and they're very small. We don't have group sizes any bigger than six to eight. You've got two, two professional uh, tutors with you. Um, but as I say, we only try and do four, four or five of them maximum in any one year because otherwise our excitement, because we, we, we enjoy doing them as well, and our excitement disappears if we try and do too uh -huh. many. So, so that pays... But that helps to pay the bills uh, doing that. And then we also, via the website, sell limited edition prints to individuals, investors, and also to companies that are, and hotels, restaurants that are looking to uh, put a series of images together, uh, high-quality work on, on sure. their walls. Okay. Um, well, let's transition a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, this topic that you've kind of touched on a couple of times, which is um, you guys collaborating with each other. I'm curious 
What does that typically look like, uh, both in the field and also um, at home? Like, how do you keep that going without wanting to kill each other? <laughs> Who says we didn't? It depends on the project, really, is, is the truth. Um, right at the beginning, when we started collaborating on the Impression series, um, we worked really, really closely together. Um, how that was physically in the field was we might not have actually even been out shooting at the same time. Sometimes we were and sometimes we'd go out separately, but you'd, you'd always be showing each other your progress, what you'd gone out and shot that morning, how you'd shot it, what subject you were shooting. If you were right there next to each other and you got something exciting on the back of your screen, you'd shout the other one over and immediately you'd probably both start trying to hone in on that uh, subject. And because we were essentially teaching ourselves that technique at the same time, that helped us learn really, really quickly and progress uh, way faster than we would have done if we'd have just been working in isolation. And then post-processing, obviously, you know, a new technique needs, we had to kind of work out what, you know what worked well and we discovered that's different for different types of picture so so that whole process right through to curating the exhibitions together that we did um was a very uh, tight progress of working together um and then as we moved on a lot of some of our work became location based so you'd put portfolios together of um like on the whole ted tends to be more traditional with a bit of abstract and i'm very abstract with a bit of traditional, I think it would be fair to say. And so we kind of rub off on each other like that. And where we are now with working together is less actually directly discussing our work. For me, it's more that I see the footprints of Ted's work in images I'm taking all the time, even though I didn't think I was, um, you know, thinking about a particular shot I'd seen. Um, when I was out in the field, I'll get home and I'll look at it and stand back a bit and think, yeah, sure, that came from uh, a shoot we did on the Isle of Arran in Scotland five years ago. Um, that's just one example. And that happens all the time in with my work anyway. I think um, I think one of the uh, the other things that stops us killing each other is is we uh, we joint sign everything uh as well or or have been for on many of our projects and by doing that it doesn't really matter who takes the the final image that represents what we were trying to create um it's a it's part of the process of of working together in a collaboration and uh we don't do it with all projects some of them are individually signed but where we are working closely together that joint signature uh, prevents us from being too competitive against each other. Yeah, we are both pretty competitive at the end of the day. But what much did more it... competitive than I am. <laughs> That's just because he loses. He's that. Um, no, it's it also what it stopped us being was selfish or sort of squirreling our developments and work and ideas away so that we could ultimately say, ta-da, look what I did. You know, what, what we did was we shared everything, every step of the way. And that meant that, you know, when that final image, the kind of, you know, the show piece was up on the wall, you knew that that, that was the result of a journey you'd both taken. It wasn't that one of you just magically produced it without any input from the other. It's quite, a, and it's something we do explore in our workshops and on one-to-ones with people because inherently most landscape photographers are, uh, individuals that go out on their own and, and work in a, a, a lone environment. And, and actually through collaborations, it's amazing uh, how it opens your eyes um, to new ideas, new ways of thinking that you can incorporate in your own. And one of the things that we've already started having through the Zero Footprints project is having photographers saying well how about we get together for a weekend and uh, and go out on a shoot exploring a theme and we might have a predestined theme that we'll go and shoot for a weekend or a long weekend or we may 
not even decide what the subject is until we get together uh, and find out what happens and where where the uh, exploration takes us. And I think that that's something we'll do more and more and we will incorporate in elements of our uh, workshops and working mentoring people as we move forward because I, I think if you're if you if you have issues with developing your creative style doing a collaboration with someone is a fantastic way of unblocking those channels and uh, and seeing the photographic world in a different way yeah I mean it's something we encourage unreservedly as well when we're we've got a group of people out in the field is you know please do share what you're doing there's a lot of folk and it you know I don't disrespect their their decision that they don't want to tell people about a venue or they don't want to tell people about a technique or they don't want to tell people what they've seen but but for me if I just think sharing sharing the first of all I don't feel like I own anywhere either so I, I don't want to keep something to myself from that point of view but also if somebody does go there having seen a shot of mine and I've told them the location and they take a better photo sure. brilliant you know I'm so happy that that's happened it's not for me to kind of think oh, I, I've done that and that's my picture and I'm going to keep that to myself um so and it's the same just with little tiny things out in the field. You know, if people are working with us, we'll constantly be looking for little ideas that we can point them towards and say, look, this is looking really exciting. Why don't you have a go at this? And they will look at what you're doing and then bring their whole vision to it and their whole personality and create something that you couldn't have even imagined yourself. You know, and that's wonderful. I really, yeah. I find that really rewarding. Yeah. When that happens. I'm curious uh what kind of uh disagreements uh have you had through the joint um collaboration process either artistically or creatively and how did you resolve those disagreements uh, it's difficult at times i think when it comes yeah. to curating work is the hardest you know when you go to put a portfolio of work together um or you know a, a gallery of images and and the reason for that is not because either of us doesn't like a particular picture the other one's taken if we're kind of putting them forward as individuals. It's more because we see things completely differently. And so our motivations are different and the way we would group images together aesthetically or conceptually is also different. So, so that's where the sticking point is. But um, just recognising that that's what a sticking point is, actually helps you resolve it really quickly. Because you can say either we are going to find a way to put this together, accepting that we both come from a different viewpoint, or maybe this set of work we should present separately if, if we don't feel like we can, you know, meet together in the in the middle. Um, but it, it, I would say that's where the, the biggest It's definitely, I, I think that's definitely where it is. It's the curation. And I think you ha you do have to be careful with collaborations for all the, the plus sides. Um, if you're not aware of it, you can um, end up uh, actually dulling the edges of the individual's uh, personality in their images because you're trying to reach a consensus <laughs> on all the images that make the, the final portfolio. And, and that's why after two or three lots of everything we were doing we were collaborating on now we have our own personal uh portfolios and bodies of work that we work on as well as the collaborations and i think that's been a, a big help but i think i think the final thing is that at the end of the day I, I, if i just do as i'm told then everything's fine <laughs> if only he was but anyway uh, I mean, the, and also the, the other thing with it is I think on the projects where we've had a very, very clear goal from the outset, like Zero Footprints, the original one where we took everything from one place or impressions, then it's much easier at the end because you both know what you're working towards at the very start. Whereas if you come into something a little bit more organically just through circumstances and it evolves over time, that's when it can get 
um, more muddy that you had a joint vision rather than you've both got a vision and it doesn't actually cross over fully. Mm. Um, but, you know, it can be just as interesting to show two completely different takes on an area or a theme as it can to try and put, put a coherent body of work that, you know, sits together visually and aesthetically. One, one of the things we're going to be, and we're, we've pretty much just about started now, is is running a, a joint blog via the website where we, we go out on our, uh, it's called the wanderings of a photographic duo of, of a photographic duo but we'll both write a blog on the same walk or trip uh and you'll get the two different views that are coming out of it and personalities coming across and i think it'll be interesting to see how that is received by the viewer as well um because that is allowing us to have our individual freedom both in words as well as the visual uh, presence and and people can see the two sat side yeah. by side because I think it is really important actually you know that we've been working together really closely for more than 12 years now and it we've both realized that it is important to have that voice of your own which you don't always have to run by somebody or agree every time you want to say something you know there's a huge value in just being able to say this is what I saw this is what I did um, and it just gets put directly into text or into photos brilliant i love it that um i haven't we haven't had many conversations on the podcast about you know joint projects and collaborations so i think um that's something that really interests me quite a bit because like what you guys were saying about uh the positives of collaborating i think it can really stretch you as an artist in terms of seeing things differently and trying things that you may normally not try or, you know, slight shifts in composition or even technique. I think it can really expand kind of what you're trying to do. And obviously um, I think the end result definitely can have a much greater impact as well. Absolutely. And we recommend as well, you know, you don't need to just stick to photographers or other visual artists collaborating with a writer or a scientist or I've worked with street artists. You know, you, you any of those things and working across disciplines will also probably really enhance, you know, what you're doing yourself in your photography. Oh, that's a good, that's a really good point. Yeah. I think um, I is one I'd love to work with a, a haiku poet if there's any out there that want to do a, a, a collaboration I think that would be a, a great one um, and you could you'd absolutely be feeding off each other I think oh for sure because you have to keep it to those very short uh, that very small structure that haiku has that, that's a cool idea <laughs> And, and, and it would be one one of the projects we did recently, it was a, a friend set it up actually, was actually you go out with old school black and white film, shoot a, a whole roll of black and white film, leave the leader out, rewind it, leave the leader out, send it to someone else, and then they shoot on the same roll of film uh, a, a series of images and you've got multi-exposure images, two different mm. Two different environments, and there was some utter rubbish that came out of it. But <laughs> then there was a, a really interesting uh, image who come out of it, and and there was about eight of us involved in that, wasn't there? Yeah, I think it was great, and there was yeah. no, um, you know, no brief for it whatsoever. You just shot your roll of film, with, and they had no clue what you'd shot when they shot theirs. So. It was really cool. We also did some solar graphs with the same bunch of people, didn't we? Yeah. You know, when you make a pinhole in a can and uh, do it, I think we did it between the equinoxes, which is, again, it's just a hands-on tactile, completely different thing. It, it just takes you out of your, your mental rut in terms of what you're doing and gives you some, you know, different perspective on, on what's possible. And another another way we do it is through uh, on Facebook. We have a group called Abstract Landscape Photographers, and that is another way where people uh, they're not collaborating as such, but it's it's become a self sustaining community. We do have very little input in it. People submit their images to it, 
and other photographers comment on the images they can say whether they like them or not and and you sometimes get some huge long threads going uh and so that's a group of people that are interested very much in in abstract landscapes um and just look after it themselves it's become a community they're not necessarily collaborating but through uh discussion and looking at other people's work there everybody's helping each other to move forward yeah uh when we're done i'd love to get a, a link to that um so yeah we can share one through and we just so you know we're doing the same thing with zero footprints as well so anybody can submit any image that's got any relevance to uh to climate change, it could be transport, energy, recycling, anything at all that can go on there. And then that will start discussions and people can see your work, you can share work. Uh, and then we'll be looking at that Facebook page on a on an ongoing basis. And, and the best images will be asking if they want to go onto the, the site itself and, and be a part of the, the wider um, zero footprints community. We'll make sure we send you that link over as well at the end. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Um, awesome. Well, I've got a couple of more questions for you. Um, my first question is, uh, you know, based on the name of the podcast, F stop, collaborate and listen, what advice would you have for other photographers? Wow. Um, in terms of collaborating, right? It, you could definitely go there for sure. Any, any, <laughs> any advice? My actually, my advice overall um, would be to try and find out what you really enjoy doing um, within photography. Because although we call it one thing, photography, there are so many different genres that um, a lot of people we come across feel like they should be able to be really accomplished in each one of them. And they wonder why they can't take an amazing landscape shot, then take this detailed shot, then take something completely different than a wildlife shot. And it, uh, the way I look at it is you're probably not going to be an expert across all those fields. Maybe you are and good for you. Um, but the, the chances are that if you can find a way to specialise and you know be really experimental and open in finding what that thing is, um, but if you can find it, I just think it will give um, a, a kind of immersive depth to your experience with photography that will show in the end result um, mm. and and make your life a lot easier because you're not always kind of feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall trying to achieve something you feel you should be able to, but you can't. But, you know, the flip side of that is it's always worth giving something a try. So, you know, don't shut yourself down completely. I try and uh, on on that one. I I suggest that people not look at and read technique books. I mean, ultimately, you can learn ninety five percent of all the techniques you'll ever need in in a week, and then in post production, in another week or two. Um, actually, look at the work of of other photographers and other artists, and see what stimulates you. And then look at the images and how they've taken them and try and understand the way that they've taken their photos and then use that when you're out in the field, not necessarily to replicate what that other photographer has done, but to inform uh, your direction of travel because that will help you. It will give you, it'll inform you with respect to genre, technique, and also what speaks to you as a as an individual all three of which are uh, uh, essentially important and uh, and as for my own um mine is time and just slow down and and take time the so often when we're um on both one-on-ones and workshops and tutorials uh we see photographers that arrive at a venue and they feel they have to take half a dozen good images uh, at each location that they turn up to. And I, I say to them that if I can get one good image in a, a month, 
I would, I'm delighted. I, I, I'm not interested in <laughs> number of images I take. Hopefully, the odd one uh, a few people will like, and and ultimately that I'll like. Uh, so yeah, slow down. Don't if you feel there is a an image at a location you're in, then most likely it's there. It might take you two years to find the image. <laughs> I've got. <laughs> I've got one shot on the website um, and I knew exactly the photo that I wanted. I had it set up on the tripod. I could almost had the spray paint can of the tripod uh, legs on the ground, but it took two years for the season to be right, the weather to be right, all the conditions coming together, the sheep to be on the hillside um, for it to come together in the image that made the final fine art print. So uh yeah take take your time and it to, to um expand on that even more it would be i would say just generally spend if you're an out, outdoor landscape photographer this is or you could apply it differently to different subjects is just spend as much time as you can out there and not necessarily don't feel like you've always got to even have your camera with you um, you might have it with you, you can leave it in the bag, that's fine, it doesn't matter if you don't get any photos, or even just go out without it and just really get engaged with landscape, if you've obviously the luxury of time. And, and then finally on that, there is a time to just put your camera down if there's something amazing happening, like an incredible aurora that's going on for two hours, and you've already got some really good shots of it, you know, just put your camera away and lie down and enjoy it because you actually, for, for me personally anyway, I find I make memories very differently if I'm shooting to when I'm not shooting. Mm. If I've just got my eye behind the viewfinder the entire time, when I snap out of that at the end of a shoot, I almost got no memories of it because everything just went into that um, trying to get, you know, my settings right, trying to get the exposure right, trying to make everything come together in the camera. Um yeah I, so, yeah, I went to uh, Iceland back in March, and we got this amazing aurora when we were at Vesterhorn. And, you know, it was one of those auroras that just, like, dances across the sky, like, really fast. And I got a few shots, and then I was like, I'm just going to watch this thing. This is insane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it was just – plus, it's, like, super hard to photograph the aurora when it's doing that. Like, it's yeah. moving so fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, you'll have uh, such good memories of that. You know, we had uh, by chance one night we were in the um, nature bars at Meva when we were in Iceland. So we were forcibly couldn't photograph. You know, we just had this hour of the most amazing light show you've ever seen when you're just sat back in this hot water. And that's the aurora I remember out of any of them. Yes. And we've seen lots. Is and that was with a, a, a workshop group. Yeah, and we were all, trying yeah. to photograph it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's a new, luxury you can only, obviously, if you've never shot it before, you've never seen it before, you're going to want to get some photos. But um, the, other, the other one on, on that score is if you set up a time lapse, you can go and sit in the bar and drink your beer and the photography's happening all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> hands off a break <laughs> all right well uh shifting gears um who, who would you guys like to hear on the podcast wow well i have uh it's not on the podcast i mean uh, well if you could get him uh it's just a name that i think everybody should see because it with respect to zero footprints and and that's the everybody should go and have a look at the amazing documentary by uh, James Ballog, uh, Chasing Ice. Um, so that's my recommendation to go and listen as an individual. But the photographer that I'd love to see um, is a guy called Jan Tov. Uh, he's a, a Scandinavian photographer and has certainly uh, some of his early work, he's got a couple of books, his early books um, were very influential in, in my work. Uh, and and uh, I, I think a lot of people will be interested to hear from him. Yeah, I would recommend uh, Val de Bailey and Doug Chinnery, um, two photographers from Britain who are really pushing the 
boundaries on abstract photography, multiple exposures, um, and creating some really, really beautiful artistic work. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you for those recommendations. I appreciate it. Um, all right. So what's, uh, what's coming up for you guys? What, uh, what workshops are coming up and what are you excited about? Well, we've got our first workshop here in Liguria in September, which is really exciting. Um, what we're enjoying most about this is that we've got so much time to set it up. You know, we can be out scouting venues whenever we want. We've, you know, got months of lead-in time to actually just be going to places on the spot at different times of year to to see how they work, what they're like in different lights, which is um, it's really exciting to be able to do that because um, quite often you get a bit of a shorter a lead-in time. Um, um, we're going to be in uh, Britain next week, I think, talking at Photo Fest with Photo Speed. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's time dated. But uh, and what else have we got coming up? We're in Iceland again in the Faroes Spring next year. Yeah, I, I always love the Iceland and Faroes trips. Um, so they they are exciting. I think there's a couple of personal yeah. projects. The fact that we've only moved to Italy. Um, really since this year. So we've only really been here six or seven months. Uh, it's um, so exciting to be in a, a new landscape, very different from Scotland, um, and learning the light, learning the venues, the locations. We've got the sea 20 minutes in one direction and ski resorts 40 minutes in the other direction. And it makes for a very interesting dynamic um, from a, a photographic perspective. So, and, and not only is it just landscape, but there's also an amazing culture uh, here. Mm. Um, and things changing very quickly. I mean, it's it's 50 years behind the UK, and you're seeing a lot of urbanisation going on, rural depopulation, and uh, uh, an abandonment. And so I've got some personal projects going on, looking at some of those issues, um, which ultimately, you know, it's all about consumerism and capitalism linked back indirectly to climate change. Um, but mm. it's, a, it's a very personal project I'm working on, uh, a very different area for me. It certainly isn't pretty pictures, but uh, it's a fascinating region to be in. Uh, at this moment in time yeah I've also just started looking at because obviously um, Italy's having a big political row over the migrants at the moment that are trying to cross the Mediterranean Mm -hmm. and um, we've met a few of them and we've been down to some of the uh, people dishing out aid as well and I was standing um shooting the sea the other day and then processing the images later and I suddenly thought I'm making this beautiful serene image of the Mediterranean it's impressionistic and it's pink and it's orange glowing sunset and then I just went to spell check Mediterranean on Google and came up with a um, news article that 218 people had died just that weekend just in two days while I'm out photographing and um you know, doing what I'm doing across that same stretch of water. And so I think that might well turn into something I have a look at um, working with over the coming months. Well, cool. Um, and if people come to visit you in Italy, they can hear those awesome church bells in person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you heard them, did you? Yeah, that's the finished work bell. I like it. I yeah. wish, yeah, it's, that's brilliant. They have to <laughs> Um, 7.30 a.m. in the summer and then a finished work bell at 7 p.m. And at 12 o'clock there lunch is the bell. lunch bell <laughs> and everything closes for four hours as they go and eat and then have a siesta. We should point out <laughs> that the corner of Italy we're in is a real, um, it, it's not long been out of subsistence culture in the 80s and it's still very much in evidence. Everybody has a piece of land, everyone's working their land, everybody grows their own vegetables um, and it's a kind of aging population, so so hence it's it's quite different from what a lot of people's glamorous ideas of, of Italy generally would be, in a good way. Oh, sounds good to me. <laughs> so, so, 
Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time uh, to uh, talk to me on the podcast. It's been really fun, and uh, I, I look forward to seeing some of your projects come to fruition. I think it's exciting. Thank you very much for having us. It's been great talking to you. Absolutely. It's been, been grand. Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. <laughs> Well, thanks to Morag and Ted for coming onto the podcast. It was a great time. To check out more of their work, go to leamingpatterson.com. As always, uh, you can uh, check out more of the podcast on Patreon. This week, uh, we talked about uh, creating photo projects, sustaining them, and curating them for presentation to the world. Uh, as always, reach out to me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Matt Payne Photo. Matt Payne Photography, and you can also find the podcast as well.